Well, has anyone ever shown you um, grace when you didn't deserve it? I remember I was probably seven years old, and uh, we were in Oklahoma. And I was going to be riding in the truck with my uh, grandparents, my mama and papa. And uh, in, in setting up this story, you need to understand my my grandfather in particular. Papa took care of everything he ever owned, and he took meticulous care. I mean, he had this, uh, I think, uh, 1976 Ford truck that was immaculate. In fact, uh, my second cousin bought this truck from him when he uh, sold it, and it was a showroom-quality truck, and he built a building just to put this truck into. I mean, it was, it was that, uh, it was that beautiful. And, uh, said, you know, you could eat off the engine. Uh, he, he, everything was, was spotless. And, uh, you, you guys have all seen the TV show, Everybody Loves Raymond and Raymond's Parents. The couch that Raymond had in, or his parents had in their living room covered with plastic. That was my grandparents. <laughs> we couldn't eat in the living room. And uh, yes, uh, we sat on plastic covers in their living room. Well, I was seven years old, and I was in Oklahoma with them. And uh, we were getting ready to take a trip somewhere. I don't know where we were going. But uh, I ran back into the house and got a, uh, a can of Pepsi, uh, a 12-ounce can of Pepsi. And ran back out to the truck and and opened that can of Pepsi in my grandfather's truck. And guess what happened? Yeah, I dropped the Pepsi can and that Pepsi went everywhere. And I immediately broke down in tears because I knew what was about to happen. And yes... I started getting read the right act from my grandfather. But my grandmother was in the truck too. And she said to my papa, Richard, you leave him alone. He didn't do it on purpose. And, uh, and the grace of my grandmother saved me from a horrendous, uh, a trip to wherever our destination was, but I was shown great grace by my my grandmother, and uh, and my grandfather didn't say another word the whole way. <laughs> but that was a very profound experience. Now uh, I have another example of grace up here this morning. Um, getting ready to leave for sixth grade camp, we're going to Forest Home. And uh, my wife has shown grace to those who are going to be sleeping in my cabin. I have these earplugs here. <laughs> and I said, why are you giving me earplugs? I don't need earplugs. And she says, they're not for you. <laughs> but everybody else who's going to be in my cabin... She is a woman who loves to show grace. (laughs) 
to those who are going to need it. So, uh, so this morning we are looking at a, another woman that uh, needed grace. And uh, it's a very familiar story in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. I wasn't going to mention this, but I might as well go ahead and, and say this. Uh, you'll notice that um, this passage of Scripture is in um, double, double brackets. And the reason why it's in double brackets is because this particular story is not found in the earliest uh, manuscripts of uh, the Gospel of Mark. Uh, this particular story showed up around the 5th century. And so uh, scholars are wondering if this is an account that actually took place. But, um, but I just want to encourage us this morning with this passage of Scripture that uh, it most likely did. We don't know for certain, but there are certain accounts within this passage that... Occur, has occurred elsewhere with the scribes and the Pharisees trying to trap Jesus uh, in certain situations. And the grace, the grace that he shows this adulterous woman is, um, is very much about, about Jesus. And uh, I think that there is a, uh, a profound picture here that our early church fathers wanted us to to see in this passage of scripture. Uh, and so they kept it or uh, it's here since the fifth century. And so I, I think it's worth uh, talking about this morning. And so I want us to read uh, verses one through 11 and uh, see what God has for us this morning. I want to start with verse two. Early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on. And sin no more. The Pharisees, the scribes and the Pharisees came to uh, Jesus with uh, this woman who had apparently been caught in the act of uh, of adultery. 
And uh, they pose a question to Jesus, uh, wanting to trap Jesus. And this isn't the first time that they've tried to trap Jesus. This won't be the last time, but uh, they think that they've got him this time. Uh, they brought bring this woman before him and ask Jesus, what will you do with this woman, Jesus? You know, the law says in the Old Testament, we are to stone her. Now, here's Jesus, and he's been posed this question, and uh, he knows that uh, if he answers any either way, it's not going to go well for him the way they want him to answer. Because if they say, oh, uh, don't stone her, uh, then he's contradicting the law. Because that's not the, what the law says. The law says that any uh, person who's caught in the act of adultery, both the man and the woman, are to be stoned to death. And so if he, if he says no, then uh, he, he's, he's, he's coming across as, as, as if he's violating the law. He's, he doesn't care what the law says. Uh, but we need to understand this, that uh, the Pharisees, they don't care about obeying the law either. Because as they've drugged this adulterous woman before Jesus, you'll notice that there's only one. And in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 22, it says that when a couple, when if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. Where's the man? You know, this this story is... Very suspicious. This scenario is very suspicious because uh, the Pharisees who who want to obey the law or are meticulous about the law, they themselves are being hypocrites to with this law because they've only brought the woman. They've lo- they've left the man uh, off the hook. But if he says to stone her, if if he says to st- not to stone her, um, then he is violating Old Testament law in their eyes. But if he says uh, to stone her, then he's violating Roman law because Roman law does not allow uh, Jews to do perform executions. That is only to be done through the Roman government. And so here you have this, this scenario where there is no court of law. They just want to know what Jesus is going to say. And uh, if Jesus says to stone her, he would be violating Roman law. And not only would he be violating Roman law, but he would be, um, uh, that's not who he is in the eyes of the people. Uh, He would, um, you know, that's not his reputation. He is a man of love and grace. And if he says to stone her, well, he's not who he says he is. And so here Jesus has this dilemma. And uh, in this, in this, with this question that's been posed, um, Jesus isn't necessarily concerned about the, adul- the adulterous woman. He's concerned about the hearts of the woman's accusers here. Jesus is dealing with evil and hypocrisy and hard satanic hearts. Um, who are showing no love or mercy towards this 
this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. No, Jesus isn't all about the law um, exclusively. And God isn't all about the law exclusively. You know, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 13, Jesus says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The Pharisees were watching Jesus and his disciples and they were picking grains of wheat on the Sabbath. They were violating the laws of the Sabbath. And Jesus said, you know, it's, it's not just about sacrifice. It's not just about obeying law. There's something bigger here that you're missing the picture of. I'm about mercy, not sacrifice. And, and the religious people were totally uh, forgetting that or ignoring that. Jesus healed uh, a, a, a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And the religious people got indignant that Jesus did something good to somebody else on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath, Jesus. Jesus says, yeah, you you can circumcise on the Sabbath, but you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath. You know, God's bigger than that. God desires mercy among his people. And the religious people were just all about obeying the law and looking spiritual in the eyes of others and ignoring people's needs. And so they've posed this question to Jesus. And in verse 7, instead of answering the question, Jesus Jesus stoops and begins to uh, write on the ground. And as he's writing on the the ground, the Bible says they continue to badger him. What do you say, Jesus? What are you going to do with this adulterous woman? And then he stands up again. And he says, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And then he goes back and he stoops on the ground and writes on the ground again. Verse 8. What's he writing on the ground? We don't know. We, we can only, only speculate. But understand this. Jesus knows all things. He knows what's in the hearts of, uh, of this woman's accusers. He knows the evil. He knows the hypocrisy. And maybe he was writing the names of the, of the woman's accusers on the ground. John, you know, uh, fornication. Joe, adultery or lust in your heart. And he began to just write what was in this woman's accusers' hearts. And the Bible says that one by one, uh, they began to leave. <clears throat> now, before we get into actually what's happening here, I, I want to say this: that uh, this isn't this isn't a proof text for 
those who don't know the Lord uh, to um, to call out Christians uh, who who point out sin. This isn't a proof text for us for that. You know, people who don't know Jesus say, well, Jesus is all about love and Jesus would never judge. Jesus doesn't want to judge anyone and that we are not, we are to uh, never judge people. But that's not the message of this text. Jesus is concerned about sin. Not committing sin is important to Jesus. And we see that from this text because in verse 11, he tells the woman, now go and sin no more. And so obeying the law, not committing adultery is a good thing. But but when Jesus says, he who is without sin let him cast the first stone. That is not the that is not the um, the basis for social justice, you know, because that wouldn't work for for judges today. Because all judges have sin in their heart, and if if that was the basis, it, then none, nobody could could judge judge sin. Judging sin is important and there is a place for it, but that is not the message of this text in this passage of scripture this morning. Jesus is concerned about the hearts of this woman's accusers and he turns the tables on the accusers and he begins to pass judgment on them because he is repulsed by their evil, hard hearts and how they are treating this sinful woman. And so he turns the table and he poses question, he makes the statement, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And no one is in a place where they can cast a stone. They are guilty as well. They are in no place or position to judge. And each one leaves. The only person in this scenario who is in a position where they can judge is Jesus. Because he is the sinless one. But even in the position Jesus is in, he can't call out and say, go ahead and stone her. She still needs a trial. She's still under, they are, she's under Roman law. The Roman law must be obeyed. So even in Jesus' sinless position, Jesus is not going, cannot have this woman stoned. So what's the point of this text? The point of this text is this. Jesus doesn't want this woman to sin. That's what Old Testament says. That's the desire of the Lord's heart. Adultery is wrong. And so he, he encourages this, this woman to go and sin no more. But don't go and, and sin no more because that's just the right thing to do. 
But go and sin no more because of the grace that you've encountered uh, in this relationship with me. Go and do the right thing now based on the grace that you've encountered by God. Not just because it's the right thing to do. Jesus isn't ignoring the law here. The law is good. And this woman has lived in a way where she has thrown the law away in her life. And now Jesus is wanting to build that, that, that foundation of righteousness and holiness, but it's going to be a foundation based on a relationship of grace with God. That needs to be her motivator. Obey, but have a different reason in in obeying because of the grace that you've encountered. Jesus is forgiving this woman and letting her know that there is a superior foundation beyond the law. And that is the grace of God in her life. Jesus is forgiving. Jesus has forgiven her sin. Jesus says, asks, where are your accusers? And she says, there's no one, Lord. And Jesus, who was the only person in a position to have condemned her, to have judged her, says, neither do I condemn you. More evidence that Jesus is God. Because only God can forgive sin. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Before you can truly stop sinning, you must have an encounter of God's grace. If you try, if you try to obey the law and do the right thing and, and, and live the moral law, life without ever encountering the grace of God, you know what you end up being? A Pharisee. Just like this woman's accusers. They had never encountered the grace of God and they had hard hearts. They were meticulous about the law and they expected everybody else to obey the law and they were treating her harshly. If you want to do the right thing, if you want to um, live the moral life, the godly life, the holy life, it has to start with God's grace. You have to experience his grace. You have to let him in. That is the only way to salvation. You know what? God is not... impressed by the person who lives the moral life. 
Suppose you were to die and you were to go to heaven and God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? And you were to say, well, Lord, I never committed adultery. You know, I always went to church. I tithed. God would not be impressed by those things and God would not allow you into heaven because that is not the way of salvation. The way of salvation is by faith through grace alone and what God has done in your life. And we, church, must build our our life, our good works, on not what we can accomplish, but on the grace of God and who God is in our life. We are to live holy lives because of the grace encounter that we've had with him. And so my question to you this morning is, have you had that grace encounter? We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by the grace of God through faith. And that's what we must build our life upon. God says, be holy for I am holy. But you can't, you can't pursue holiness until you've heard the words, neither do I condemn you. That you've encountered the grace of God. Imagine this woman. She has encountered the grace of God. Here are these religious people who have trapped her and now are dragging her before Jesus. I mean, her world has, has, is falling apart. She's drug into the temple where Jesus is, and, uh, and she's hearing the word stoning. She lives in Jerusalem. She knows what the law says. And being caught in the act of adultery, the consequences, the, the, um, consequences for that is stoning. And so she's thinking in her heart that this is the end. And so all of this is going through her mind. She's, she's totally embarrassed. This is taking place in public. Not just with these religious people, but everybody whom Jesus is teaching. And so her world has, has fallen apart. And she hears the words, He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And one by one, her accusers leave and it's just her and Jesus. And she hears the words from her, her Lord and Savior. And neither do I condemn you. She has encountered the grace of God. And Jesus is telling this, this woman, now I want you to leave from here and don't sin anymore. But don't base your decisions upon, you know, what you think you can do and just what the law says. No, you base your decisions upon the grace that you've encountered with me. You let that be the foundation of your life. 
And as you obey, you obey because you want to obey because of all that God has done in your life. If you haven't had that grace encounter, then it is very easy to turn out like the Pharisees with the hard hearts and being ugly towards sinful people. She encountered the grace of God. Her worst day suddenly became her best day. What an amazing story. So not only is this text telling us to sin no more based upon the grace of God, but secondly, Jesus can forgive this woman because Jesus knows he's going to pay for her sin. Jesus knows what the law says and what the penalty for adultery is. But Jesus is going to forgive this woman because Jesus is going to take her stones. Jesus is going to die in her place. Here is this man who has all the rights to cast these stones at her, suddenly saying, neither do I condemn you. And instead of this man abusing her just like every other man has done in her life, he does the selfless thing. He does the loving thing. He does um, the sacrificial thing. No, I'm going to take your punishment for you. And Jesus is going to condemn himself. Jesus is going to die for her sin. The wages of sin is death. Someone must die for her sin. And in the Old Testament, whenever we saw a a sacrificial lamb or a sacrifice, it was an innocent animal dying for the sin of men, man or a nation. And all these sacrifices of the Old Testament are pointing to the ultimate sacrifices that the Lamb of God is going to become for all time when Jesus dies. And Jesus died for her. The gift of grace. He offered his life for hers. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And so my question to you this morning is, have you encountered the grace of God in your life? If you've come here this morning and you have based your life, your relationship with God on church attendance morality, uh, good works that you think that this gives you good standing with God, that doesn't mean a hill of beans to him. It's not our good works that get us to heaven. If we could get to heaven by our good works, Jesus died needlessly 
There's a way other than the cross. But there is no other way. An unblemished, perfect sacrifice had to die in our place. And that ultimately was the person of Jesus. It was God's grace. He took the punishment for your sin and my sin. And I can stand here before you today as your pastor saying, I know that I'm going to heaven and it's not because I'm the pastor of this church or because I've grown up in the life of the church. I know I'm going to heaven when I die because when I was eight years old, I got down on my knees. I knew that I was a sinner and that Jesus needed to become my Lord. And I asked him to forgive me of my sin. By faith, I believed that Jesus died for my sin. But he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he came back from the grave. And I believe that, and I continue to believe that, and I confess that, and I ask Christ to come into my heart. When I got up off my knees... I knew Jesus was in my heart. And that is, that's a decision I have never, ever regretted. Have I been perfect my whole life? Absolutely not. I've made mistakes. I continue to make mistakes. But I know that Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me. And my life, my relationship with him is based upon what he promises that he will do. I encountered the grace of God and I have encountered the grace of God over and over and over again. And you, we, if we're going to have a close encounter with God, with Jesus, we have to experience his grace. And his grace says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. We must build our lives, our desire to follow him upon that grace encounter and not what the law says. Do you have that relationship with Jesus? If you don't, today, Jesus says, today can be the day of your salvation. Surrender your heart to him. What's the application for us as we conclude this message? Four things that are on your sheet this morning. Number one, don't commit sexual sin. You know, Jesus took Deuteronomy 22, 22 seriously. You know, not committing adultery is a good thing. It's there for a reason because God doesn't want us to destroy our life. God created sex. God created marriage for a reason. And he wants us to enjoy that. But he wants us to enjoy that within the context of marriage. And when we, when we experience that outside of God's plan and will for our life, it just leads to a lot of heartache and, and destruction and disappointment and dead ends. And God wants you to avoid those kinds of scenarios. He wants you to obey the law. 
but obey the law by building your life on the grace of God and what he's, he's done in your life. But don't commit sexual sin. Number two, adultery is not the end of the world. I mean, I'm thankful that this story is here. I, you know, for the, for the sinful woman, she thought this was the end of her world. And it wasn't the end. Jesus says, go and sin no more. There's grace and forgiveness in Jesus. And Jesus wants to restore. Jesus wants to repair. Jesus wants to heal everything that you've thrown away. Adultery is bad, but it's not the end of the world. God's grace is beyond our sinfulness. And we just need to surrender to him. Number three, all things can work together for good. Think about this woman's accusers. I mean, there was nothing but evil and hardness in their heart and uh, and. Uh, you know, and, and Satan was wanting to use that to just destroy her life and to trap Jesus. But you know what? God was fully in control of that situation. And what was a horrendous situation for her, uh, because of her accusers, God turned it around and did something absolutely beautiful and profound in her life. And not just for her, but all of us here in this room. When we get to, when we read that story, God is using what, uh, men meant for evil. God turned it around for good. Not just for her, but for us as well. And that promise is available to God's children. And then number four. Don't forget the grace of God in your own life. You know, if we're not passionately pursuing Jesus, we're going to be just like the guys wanting to cast cast stones in this passage of Scripture. The less, the less we are are aware, less we are aware of our own sinfulness, the more judgmental we can become of others. Are there people in your life that you've been categorizing this, these days that you've been wanting to cast stones at? Maybe you've forgotten about the grace of God in your own life. Church, we always need to be mindful of our own sinfulness. We have, the Christian life is a life of, uh, of repentance, of humility. And if it weren't for the grace of God, as we see others who are living outside the will of God, we can look at them and say, if it, if it weren't for the grace of God, there go 
there would go I. We need to be mindful of our own sinfulness and how much God has bestowed grace upon us. So how does God want to use this story in your life? If you haven't had a grace encounter with him, or it's been a long time since you had a grace encounter with him, become broken over your sin, over your rebellion. And hear Jesus say to you, neither do I condemn you. Because the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And even God's people need to hear those words regularly. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. How does God want to use this in your life? Let's pray. Father, Thank you for taking this woman's life whose life had been turned out upside down that morning and God turned right back upright in a way that she could never dream or imagine. Hearing those words come from you, neither do I condemn you. Father, there's, there's some people here in this room right now that, that God need to hear those words. And uh, they've been living in such a way that they've just kind of thrown away what, what uh, God, your word has said. But God, there's, you love them. You love them unconditionally. And you want to restore, you want to heal what's been broken. And so, Father, I pray that, uh, that you would use this time of invitation to draw people into an, a grace encounter with you. God, may we all hear the words today or this week, sometime, neither do I condemn you. And may we take that grace, God. May that be our motivator to live our lives enthusiastically for you because of all that you've done in our life. Jesus, thank you. For being our cornerstone. For being the God who saves in the person of Jesus. Use this time of invitation, we pray in Christ's name.